Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. And today, Lance, we talk about a disappearance, a missing persons case out of Colorado. It's from Nucla, Colorado. His name was Dale Williams. And we were introduced to this case because we are board members on the nonprofit Private Investigations for the Missing, which, of course, was started by Bruce Maitland, Brianna Maitland's father. Yeah, and this is the transition of sorts that we've been talking about using this platform, the Missing Maura Murray Show, to uh, work in conjunction with Private Investigations for the Missing. So, as you said, this case came to us through the, uh, through, through the email, through the website— And we felt like this was a good place to start because we started some really good communication with the family. We have Tony Lawrence, who is his daughter, and Sarah Luster, who is also his daughter, and uh, Michelle and Jennifer Amell. Michelle Kazuba and Jennifer Amell have been helping us out with this as well. 
That's right. Big thanks to them. And Jennifer Amell joins us on this episode. And you may recognize Jennifer's voice if you are a longtime listener of Crawl Space because she does the Suitcase Jane Doe series with us on Crawl Space. And in fact, we just released an episode of Suitcase Jane Doe this week. So if you're listening to Crawl Space this week, you already heard her. So here she is. She is now doing some research for us. Right, so we got the shout-outs there, the people who this wouldn't be possible without, especially this case, Tony Lawrence, Sarah Luster, Michelle Kazuba, Jennifer Amell, and you and I, Tim, are just the conduits of information here. So uh, we're going to do our best to put these people on uh, the platform they deserve, and we'll start with Dale Williams, and hopefully we can get a good reaction from this. Okay, so Dale Williams went missing from Nucla, Colorado, May 27, 1999. He's 5'7", 170 pounds. He has sandy brown slash graying hair, green eyes. He's got facial hair, beard, and a mustache. And he's got scars under the chin, under each side of his face, along the jawline, scars on the center chin. Um, it, it appears that he's grown the facial hair to cover up those scars. These scars are not in relation to his disappearance. He's got a birthmark on the left side of his jaw bones, and he was last seen wearing blue jeans and a blue T-shirt. And Dale was 42 at the time he went missing. He would be about 63 now. If you have any information on the disappearance of Dale Williams, please contact the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. It's 970-248-7500. And rest assured, Missing More Murray listeners, we will be covering more Murray news as it breaks. Uh, the show is still missing more Murray, but we owe it to the other people who are missing, their family members, uh, private investigations for the missing. We have developed this platform where we talk about missing people. We've talked about Mora, and we've done over 100 episodes on one particular case. So it's it's time to start using this tool in order to bring some sort of closure or some answers to the families who also have missing people. Okay, thanks everybody for listening, and please check out investigationsforthemissing.org, and you can make a donation there through the nonprofit's GoFundMe page. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. We are being joined today by Jennifer Amell. Jennifer has been working on the Suitcase Jane Doe podcast, and in fact, we released an episode about that on Crawl Space this week. So she's a familiar voice. How are you, Jen? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? We are doing excellent. It's a little snowy here, and uh, we want to thank you for joining us on Missing Maura Murray from the confines of your your snowy research crawl space uh, uh, dwelling that is in uh, parts unknown. So right. this is where you go to do your uh, your research for us and for yourself and for justice. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join us yet again. Thank you. Yeah, I like to describe it as a hatch. Wow, perfect. Yeah, hatch. I was at a <laughs> loss for words, but that was that's exactly what I was uh, getting at. <laughs> no, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I first listened to you guys on Missing Maura Murray, so it's a little bit like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I love it. being on the show. Well, great. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm your Rod Serling, and uh, <laughs> let's hear about Dale Williams. Whoa, whoa, who am I? That? Wait, that, that... <laughs> You're like Rod's sidekick. I, I'm the guy with the thick glasses. I'm the guy who's like, I have all the time in the world to read. <laughs> 
So, uh, so you, you're starting to do a little research for us, Jen, and a lot of the cases that have come in from emails to the private investigations for the missing email inbox is kind of where you're starting on this. Yeah, that's correct. Um, we try to prioritize uh, family members that write in with their cases. Um, it seems like they're still invested, even if the case is 25, 30 years old, which is uh, what this case is today. How did you get involved with Private Investigations for the Missing? This is the nonprofit that Tim and I are uh, on the board of, and it's run by Brianna Maitland's father, Bruce Maitland. It is to provide private investigators for families who have run out of resources. So we're raising funds to do that. And uh, welcome aboard officially to, uh, to the team of Private Investigations for the Missing. How did it all start? Thanks very much. Um, yeah, as we mentioned before, I did some work for you guys on Crawl Space podcast for a case called Suitcase Jane Doe. Uh, it's a cold case here in uh, my hometown of Downingtown, Pennsylvania. And I guess we've completed about five episodes now. Uh, the next one due out pretty soon. It was based on your invite. I I couldn't believe my luck. This is uh, a thing I enjoyed doing. I think it's important and uh you guys are doing amazing work, so I'm, I'm happy to be on board. Well, great. Thanks a lot. Uh, technically, it was our invite, but it was your work on Suitcase Jane Doe where Tim and I finally saw the light. And we were we were like, this is the type of researcher that, that we need because we have facilitators who are doubling as researchers. We have Tim and I who will try to get the word out there for these missing individuals. And you working exclusively as a researcher putting together these uh, these documents is extremely helpful. So it, it was uh, partially our invite, but I think a little uh, overdue. Yeah, and we also have a lot of emails that have come into the private investigations for the missing email inbox. And frankly, someone's got to reply to all them. And so shout out Michelle, shout out Jillian, some other people who are helping to uh, work with, with the nonprofit. And uh, so that's kind of where where this your your work, Jen, starts is uh, sort of organizing the emails that come in and you're going to be able to help research some of these cases for us so we can talk about them on the show. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's vitally important. Definitely a shout out to Michelle. She's done a great job uh, creating an intake plan and getting us organized. So I'm there to uh, basically just do the research and do a little reach out to the families or the people that write in and make sure we're staying true to what the families want out of the case. Um, another point to hit on as well, in the, specifically in these missing persons cases that have gone cold for so long, uh, we really need to get these stories out into the public um, so they can either do their own research and uh, or, you know, write in with tips or memories or whatever. I mean, it all helps. It's important. Okay, so let's discuss the disappearance of Dale Williams. Dale went missing from Nucla, Colorado, on May 27th, 1999, and it says he's believed deceased and foul play is suspected. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I think just because the case has gone on for so long with no sign of Dale um, that they believe he is deceased, there is, there's the other fact that his truck was dumped. They're not sure exactly when, but it was found about six weeks after he went missing. Um, and they do not believe that Dale had any hand in dumping his truck. So I think that's where the foul play comes in 
Okay, so his uh, stats here, he's 42, so this was in 99. He would be 63 now, uh, 5'7", 170 pounds, uh, sandy brown slash graying hair, green eyes, beard, a mustache. Uh, it seems like the beard and the mustache are covering up uh, a bunch of scars on his face. Uh, scars are on each side of his face, his jawline, uh, center chin. Uh, he's got a birthmark on the left side of his jawbone, and he was last seen wearing blue jeans and a blue T-shirt. And this was sourced from uh, where, Jen? Uh, this was sourced from the NamUs site. Um, among There was an Unsolved Mysteries episode, uh, which featured Dale, which had really good information. And um, the family's website on, uh, on the case has all of this information as well. So these are all the vital s- statistics. Okay, and the family's website is whereisdalewilliams.net. That's correct? Yes. Okay, cool. This one is, uh, you. you uh, I was going to say, you, you, you know how to pick them. Jen, this one, <laughs> this one is um, uh, seemingly one of those ones that should have been solved pretty quickly. I don't know if that's your opinion, but um, if you want to go through uh, some of the background and everything to uh, bring everybody up to speed on who Dale Williams is and his uh, the circumstances of his disappearance. So about a year before Dale's disappearance in 1999, um, he and his wife had uh, some close friends. Uh, Their names are not disclosed, so we won't disclose them here either. But we'll refer to them as the ex-friend, which is the man, and the ex-wife, which is his wife. Okay. So Dale and his wife Diana found out that the ex-wife was being abused. I'm not sure if it was uh, physical or verbal abuse or some combination of the two, but they decided to help the ex-wife get away from her husband and they moved her to another state covertly. I guess they were hoping that the ex-friend would, wouldn't find out about the Williams' involvement, but in fact he did. So just to clarify, Dale and Diana are married, and Dale's ex-friend was her husband, and they, they suspected that she was being abused, so Dale and his wife covertly moved her away from the ex-friend. Yes, that's right. And I imagine okay. this would be quite a difficult decision to make. I mean, not not to say you shouldn't help a woman in need. You always should. But uh, Dale had grown up with this friend. They went to uh, grade school and high school together, and they had been friends for their adult life as well. So I imagine it was pretty difficult for Dale to, you know, go behind his friend's back and, and get his wife away. Sure. And was this ex-friend the type of person that you would describe just based on your opinion or based on your research, would your opinion be that this ex-friend had a violent streak? Yes, I believe so. Just, I mean, just on the presumption that he was abusing his wife. I mean, that's really all the evidence you need. Okay. Right. And so it sounds like someone broke into Dale's shop. Yeah, yeah. So 11 months, so this is a month after they moved the uh, the ex-wife away. So 11 months before his disappearance, Dale uh, owned this auto body shop in Nucla. And when he went to work one day, he found all these torn up pictures uh, in front of his entryway. And there was a bunch of stray uh, twenty two caliber bullets scattered with the pictures as well. And when he pieced these pictures together, he found that they were pictures of Dale and Diana and the ex-friend and his ex-wife. 
he believes that these pictures were taken from inside of his shop. So somebody had to break into his shop, rip up the pictures, and deposit them on the entryway to, for Dale to find. Okay, what kind of shop was this? It's an auto body shop, so it's okay. not necessarily mechanics, but they work on like the body of a car, like if you're in a wreck or needed a windshield rip- replaced. Or if someone slides into your car in a snowy parking lot. Someone's Speaking bitter. Speaking from experience. Someone's still bitter. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so, and then a day later, uh, Diana, who worked at this video store, this is back in 1999 when you would actually go to a store to rent uh, VHS tapes. So she managed one of these stores, and when she went into work in the uh, drop box of the store, she found a twenty two caliber revolver in there. The gun was later determined to be Dale's, which was in his auto body shop and matched the uh, twenty two caliber bullet casings that were laid out in front of his shop. So someone, we're going to say probably it was the ex-friend, broke into the shop, stole his gun, his bullets and these pictures and was using these tactics to intimidate and frankly to terrify the Williams. Okay, because I love to do this, I like to recap at every point possible. In Dale's shop when he was gone, someone broke in and scattered 22 caliber bullets and found torn up pictures of himself and Diana and of the ex-friend and the wife that they helped rescue, found the torn up pictures of those four uh, scattered along with the bullets. And then Diana, Dale's wife, finds the gun that matches those bullets in the drop box of the video store, which must be quite a quite a surprise when you go to pick up the nightly drops from the videotapes. And, and that's determined to be the gun that Dale owned, and it, it, and it matches the bullets. Right, yeah. So this, this is clearly a tactic to intimidate. Absolutely. Okay, and this, this came how long after they had covertly moved um, the girlfriend or the, the ex-wife? This was a month after they moved the ex-wife. Okay, 11 months before he disappeared, before Dale disappeared. Correct, yeah. Okay, so the, the escalating um, uh, tactics to uh, intimidate have now started. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not sure exactly why there weren't more things that this ex-friend did in the intervening period of those 11 months. I mean, he did actually find out where his ex-wife was. So that may, like, he may have been intimidating Dale to get information about where his ex-wife went. And then when he subsequently found out where she was, maybe the scare tactics stopped for some reason. Do you know how he found that out? I don't know. Okay. But there was an incident that occurred on the same day as Dale's disappearance that may or may not be related. Yeah. So we've been uh, corresponding with Dale's daughter, Tony. And she said that she found out some information fairly recently um, from a, her aunt and uncle, who are both now deceased. But apparently a person, an unidentified man, showed up at her work. And this was in a separate town. This wasn't in Nucla. This was, I think, two hours away. Okay. So someone showed up at her work looking for Tony. And she was uh, in college at the time. She wasn't at work that day, so this guy left and he went outside to a payphone and a coworker watched him make a call, which lasted 15 to 20 minutes, and then he left. 
a 15 to 20 minute call on a payphone. Yeah. It's quite a long call. That is a long call. Interesting. And and this was uh, May 27th? Yes. Okay. On the day of Dale's disappearance. Okay. And about two hours away from where Dale lives. Correct. What have you been um, exploring as far as uh, the reasoning here? So I've been uh, closely following the Reddit thread on this case, and people have really great ideas about what this could mean. I mean, potentially there was a setup. I'm not saying this was the ex-friend because he probably would have been identified if he went to Tony's work. But if he had hired or enlisted the help of somebody else to do something to Tony, whether it was to scare her or abduct her or even to murder her, I'm not sure. But when she was not at work, uh, the plan had to change. So that would explain this long phone call to determine a plan. And maybe from that point, they decided to go after Dale himself. Okay. But you don't think this is the ex-friend or you do think this is the ex-friend? I don't think it's the ex-friend. I think um, if there was any description given to Tony's aunt and uncle from the co-worker, they probably would have determined it was this ex-friend. I mean, I'm not saying for absolute certainty, but I'm thinking it, they would have connected the dots. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're, you're saying at, at this time of, of your research, if the people who had witnessed the man described him to Tony's aunt and uncle, they would have said that by now. They would have said this is, this is the ex-friend. I believe so. Yeah, okay, I get you. I mean, some information can get lost, um, kind of like the telephone game. It's been many years since this happened. On May 27, 1999, the day of Dale's disappearance, according to Pastor Tom Ross and his son, they stopped by to visit Dale at his auto body shop in Nucla. Around noon, Ross said Dale received a call from someone saying they broke down three-fourths of a mile east of Bedrock, Colorado store, which is a small roadside country store. Ross considered this strange as Dale ran an auto body shop and didn't normally provide roadside assistance, and Ross said it sounded like Dale was speaking to a woman based on the tone of his voice. First, he said he would take the wrecker, and then after learning that the distressed caller needed a jump, said that he'd take the truck, white Ford pickup truck. And at 12.15, Dale stopped at Tammy Lawrence's office. Tammy was the wife of Dale's best friend, and according to her, he was in a hurry. Tammy uh, had a quote on the Unsolved Mysteries uh, show. She said, I had a windshield that I needed repaired on a truck of ours. I thought it was strange that Dale stopped in because he didn't have to stop and tell me. He could have called me. Maybe he felt uneasy about who he was going to give a tow to. I really don't know. That was the last time I saw Dale Williams. And you're thinking perhaps he was uneasy about the distress call and he wanted someone there like his friend to tag along because he felt a little bit uh, you know, nervous about it. Yeah, yeah, that could definitely be the case if you wanted his friend to ride along. Um, I don't necessarily think, like, because the pastor who provided the statement about the phone call he was listening in said that Dale seemed friendly, like he was talking to maybe a woman. I don't know how you really determine that, but it didn't seem like he was nervous at all about this call. So I'm not totally sold on the fact that Dale was uneasy about the call. Okay, but this was the last confirmed sighting of Dale, and there have been uh, 
possible sightings of him uh, subsequently. Uh, between 1215 and 1.30, Dale's whereabouts are unaccounted for, and this is presumably when he assisted that particular stranded motorist. Eyewitnesses placed Dale's truck back at the auto body shop in Nucla as early as 1.30 p.m., and as late as 2.30 p.m., so there's an hour uh, window there for the eyewitnesses placing his truck back at his auto body shop. Uh, additional eyewitnesses report seeing Dale at a country market in Naturita, uh, which is one of the neighboring towns between 5 and 6 p.m., and his wife, Diana, considers those witnesses to be very credible. That's interesting. Can I jump in there for a sec? Please. So this this report between 5 and 6 p.m., uh, I don't think the family actually believes this is true now. There was another man's truck that looked very similar to Dale's, and they sort of believe that that could have been mistaken for Dale's truck. And Dale's truck was a white uh, Ford pickup. That's what we were saying? Yeah. Sounds like a common truck. Yeah, it does. So then six weeks go by, and Dale's truck was located in July of 1999 in Uravan, Colorado. How far away from that was where uh, where he went missing? I believe it was 30 minutes. So this is near a swimming hole, right near San Miguel and Dolores Rivers, and uh, only locals really know about this swimming hole. Yeah, it seems to be really off the beaten path. Um, the family seems to believe that it would have to be a person who is familiar with the area to even find this place. Conversely, I, I had a thought that there's this like super remote dirt road from where the country store is, where the stranded motorist presumably was calling from. There's a dirt road connecting that country store to the site where the truck was dropped. So if you didn't know the area and you were just looking for a dirt road to drive down and a place where you could conceivably roll a vehicle into the water, you wouldn't necessarily pick a place where you know swimmers go and fishermen go to hang out. So maybe we're not looking for a person who's too familiar with the area. I, I, I do think that the family the family's pretty sold on the idea that it was a local um, the guy who, who found the truck, um, his name is Levi, uh, he's very close friends with the family now, told him that on the day he was fishing and he found the truck, there was a man in a teal geotracker, which is a kind of car, that drove by them several times. And it finally stopped and the guy got out and he said to stop playing around there. And then he drove off again, which was a very strange thing. How old was this Levi guy? Pretty young. I think he was in his 20s. Okay. And how old was the guy in the geo tracker? I don't know. I don't have any information on that guy. It sounds like something that an older guy would tell like a kid, like stop playing around there. But that's just how my uh, brain is, is uh, playing it out. You said that the truck was found by a pair of fishermen and it was in this, um, the, conf- the confluence of the two rivers, the San Miguel and the Dolores, and the swimming hole was particularly deep, I guess. So the truck was um, sunk, and the yeah. fisherman hooked it, like uh, like got his uh, his his line hooked on the hood of the truck. Yeah, that's right. Um, I believe Levi said that he thought it was a refrigerator. Then I think he he tried to get into the truck, like discovered it was a truck, and tried to get into it, and found some identifying information, and knew that this was a person who was missing. So he called the police. 
So the truck was all the way submerged and the cab was filled with silt from the bottom of the river. It's kind of like dirt, debris, rocks, that sort of thing. And then Mm. the wheels were cranked to the hard left, indicating that the truck was deliberately driven off of that dirt road and into the uh, river where the swimming hole was. Um, and I know you have uh, weather reports here. So the the windshield wipers were turned on. So this might give us a sense of timing. Can you run through the weather reports? Yeah, I, I thought that might be a pretty good thing. If the wipers were on, then that means it was probably raining. Um, and this is an area of Colorado where it doesn't really rain that often. So we have some days that it's likely that the truck was dropped. So on June 17th to June 18th, there was a light rain. And then on June 22nd, there was a light to moderate rain. So maybe we're looking at those three days as possible days when the truck was was dumped. Okay, so if the wipers were turned on because it was raining, it would indicate that the truck uh, was at least uh, kept somewhere for three weeks because if they drove it after that, they would be driving it in the rain. And it was missing for six weeks. But it says here May 27th that uh, there was some very light rain in your van, right? That's true. Yeah, it, it was super light rain. So I'm not sure if you would have right. your wipers on in that case. Yeah, but that is the day he went missing. I mean, I, I would say it's much more likely that the car was uh, deposited into the watering hole sooner rather than uh, waiting a few weeks. I would think so, too. But maybe that would explain the sighting later on at that neighboring town of the truck okay other details that you have here the driver's side and the passenger windows were down three quarters of the way and according to dale's wife diana dale always drove with his windows all the way up or all the way down i think that's a really interesting detail that she would remember i guess if you're with somebody for a long time like you know these uh these habits of your significant other um that's that's an interesting detail. So we're we're talking about somebody who had put the windows down in a uh, in a light to moderate rain, perhaps, so that the water would come in and submerge, uh, continue to submerge or successfully submerge the truck. Correct. Yeah, I think that was done very deliberately. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Okay, and now let's talk a little bit about the investigation. And uh, a lot of information about the investigation is actually being withheld by police because it's an open case. But here is what we know. The Williams family put up missing person posters in the post office. The posters kept disappearing or being ripped down. Eventually, Diana asked police to set up a surveillance camera. Which is cool that apparently they did set it up because they determined that it was Dale's ex-friend, the person that we've been talking about with the leaving the gun in the um, video deposit box. He ripped down the posters, uh, but you have here he was questioned by the police, subjected to two polygraphs, passed both of them, and had an alibi, and was ruled out as a suspect. So this is... Um, this is interesting. It doesn't mean that he didn't do anything, and really... 
it's not as hard to pass polygraphs as people think if you're if you know how to manipulate. But what are your what are your thoughts on that? You can never be sure on how thorough an investigation is if you don't have, you know, the police report right in front of you. Um, it didn't mention anything about this ex-friend being involved in some other way, either hiring someone or asking a friend to do his dirty work. So just because he had an alibi doesn't mean he isn't involved. And really, he's the only enemy of Dale's. I mean, just just demonstrating what kind of person Dale was. Like, he went out of his way to, to help a woman in need. And his family describes him as a as a very community oriented, fun loving kind of guy. He this is a man with no enemies, and this is the only person who had a motive to hurt Dale. Right, and the police even investigated that mysterious phone call at Dale's auto shop, and they traced the number to a phone that was initially reported as stolen. But um, there's confusion on this. The phone was either stolen or was a burner cell phone. Yeah, I've I've been unable to determine if the phone was stolen or if it was just a burner. Um, but both of those facts sort of suggest that it's a nefarious call. Yeah, that it might have been connected to his disappearance. Yeah. Okay. And what's the cell service like? There's probably not a whole lot of cell service around Bedrock um, in 1999. So it would have to have been placed in an area that had cell service. Correct. Yeah, I don't think the call could have come from that area where the Bedrock Country Store was. They would have had to make it from maybe Nukla or maybe a, another uh, more habited town where there's some cell towers. And you've got some thoughts on the phone call here, Jen. Tell us about those. So let's imagine for a second that the caller had nothing to do with Dale's dis- disappearance. So if they did in fact call because they were stranded and they needed a jump on their car. How did they place the call um, if there was no cell service? And how did they have the number for Dale's auto body shop? So if they weren't trying to lure Dale out for any reason, um, maybe they went back to this country store and used a phone book to find the number of some type some type of automotive shop. And you got to remember that that. Dale's shop was for auto body work. It wasn't necessarily to do roadside assistance at all. So, I mean, it was a strange choice to to call this shop. But if, in fact, they did go to the store, was there a clerk at the store? Did they remember seeing a motorist stranded? Did they have a description of somebody? These would all be questions I would ask. What was uh, the name of Dale's auto body shop, if you know? I don't know. I was just thinking if it was like AAA auto body by Dale, it would have been like one of the first ones in the uh, phone book for them to to look at. But it is interesting that they would that they would look up an auto body shop and not a not a tow company or not AAA if they needed a jump. Yeah, I mean, just kind of playing devil's advocate here. It seems like the caller had something to do with his disappearance, based on the fact that the number was untraceable. So, what does the Williams family think? Unfortunately, I. I believe they've given up hope that they'll find Dale alive. They do think that he is deceased and that he was murdered. There's a rumor about him being in a mine shaft. He was murdered and put in a in a mine shaft and uh there's hundreds of mine shafts in the area and I mean I can imagine that it would be an impossible endeavor to search them all due to lack of resources. 
where did that rumor come from? What's your thoughts on that? Um, so this became sort of a local idiom in Nukla, unfortunately. It's a pretty insensitive, but like, you know, if you're drinking at a bar or something, uh, the phrase would be like, I'll do what I did to you to, to Dale Williams and throw you down a mine shaft. So I think I'm not exactly sure how this rumor got started. Maybe it's just the mere fact that there are tons of mine shafts in the area. And if you use a little bit of your imagination, that's probably where you would hide a body if you didn't want it to be found. Let me speak for everyone listening and say hardy har har to that. That's a hilarious idiom. Yeah. <laughs> but wasn't wasn't there something about Dale's brother mentioned like he he started that? No, no, I don't think he did. I think that was uh, some of the locals who started that rumor. But uh, Dick, Dale's brother, sort of weighed in on this theory, and he said that if Dale is in fact in some some sort of mine, um, that he would put the body in a vent shaft of a mine. So there's lots of like openings to let air out yeah. of the mine or into the mine. Yeah. And these are places that are not traversed. Okay, so it, this could have been just a comment that his brother Dick had made saying, you know, my brother's missing. People are asking him all the time. And he's like, listen, if you're not, if my if my brother's body hasn't been found, it's probably in the vent shaft of a mine. Yeah. I mean, that, that could have been where, you know, that could have been where his head was at. And it wasn't so much him, you know, making himself look like he was responsible for it at all. Yeah, exactly. And what did the police don't believe these uh, these tips with the mine shafts or are they just not looking into it because they don't have the resources? Um, I don't think they um, have ruled it out entirely. It's definitely a possibility that his body is in a mine shaft. But like we said before, there's there's hundreds of them in the area. Um, I don't think that they believe the source of these rumors or tips have any credibility. And what's the ex-friend doing now? So I don't have so much information on this person because I don't even have their name. But uh, apparently he filed a restraining order on Diana and both of her daughters. Um, So that sort of makes the family very reticent to perpetrate any slander or like openly accuse him or anything. God damn. Why do we keep getting into these situations, these cases where the most likely suspect, and I don't know, I'm just hearing about all of this recently, why are all of like the most likely suspects the ones they lawyer up, they, they get restraining orders, and no one else does? You know, it's either they're very, very smart or they're very, I don't know, slimy. Probably because they have something to hide. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Probably. I mean, if he is innocent, it's also a terrible ordeal to go through being accused for all these years. But, like, don't be a dick. And, Jen, I heard that uh, Dale's brother, Dick, spoke on Marissa Jones's podcast, The Vanished, and uh, spoke about some promising new leads. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I actually don't have any information because uh, it is an open investigation, and I don't think they're, they want to you know, play their hand too early or anything by releasing information to the public. But based on Dick's tone, he seemed pretty excited. They have more info on new leads, and they have more people to talk to. And Dick said that this new lead would make someone... Very uncomfortable. Okay. Wonderful. Now, what would your personal theory be? And this should be the segment of the show where we say, from the hatch, Jen's personal theory. (laughs) Okay, so I have a personal theory about this 
case about maybe the sequence of events. Um, just trolling through like the Reddit threads and and uh, people commenting on social media and stuff. The ex friend obviously jumps out to everyone as a potential suspect. Um, so maybe the ex friend put a woman up to making the distress call, and for all this woman knew uh, it could have been some harmless prank that the ex-friend put her up to I believe if there is a person who made this call even if you didn't think you were doing a bad thing at the time it's time to come forward whoever placed that call needs to start talking right if she thought that she was making a prank call yeah yeah okay so maybe this call wasn't made to necessarily lure Dale to the bedrock store or close by it, but to ensure that Dale would be gone from his auto body shop for at least an hour and a half because it was like 40 minutes to the country store and then 40 minutes back to Nucla to his auto body shop. So mm-hmm. if, it, if this call was used to lure Dale out of his shop, Maybe the ex-friend who we know broke into the shop before and stole the pictures and the gun and the bullets um, broke in again. And uh, fortunately, we do know that Dale left the shop unlocked in his haste to leave and help the stranded motorist. So I don't know what the ex-friend was thinking they were doing in the shop. Maybe they wanted to, I don't know, steal something, mess up some records. It could have been far short of murder. But if Dale's truck was indeed back by the shop by 1.30 p.m., as an eyewitness has stated, he would have been gone for about 75 minutes. So if Dale did arrive back at the shop, maybe he could have surprised the ex-friend doing whatever he was doing in the shop, and it resulted in a fight and potentially Dale's murder. Okay, was there any signs of struggle in the shop that anyone has ever um, noted, or... Was there any sort of testing that was done in the shop? That's that's what I would like to know. I, I can't find any information that they processed the auto body shop forensically. Um, his wife, Diana, did go back to the shop when Dale failed to turn up and she found, you know, like the hood of a of another truck he was working on, like open and his tools were scattered about like he had just left. But there was no signs of like anything knocked over or broken or anything like that. But the uh, the the pastor Tom Ross had stopped by that day, right? We're talking about the same day where Tom Ross and his son stopped by Dale's auto body shop, and he was the one that reported that Dale got this call and left. So I'm assuming the pastor and his son left at the same time. Yeah, they left um, when Dale left. Hmm. Because they had stopped by on a friendly visit. They were like playing a game of darts. Okay, gotcha. Game of darts. And the last credible sighting of Dale was... By the family friend. By a family friend when he stopped by... The family friend was Tammy Lawrence. He stopped by her work and he was... uh, Her her husband was Dale's best friend. Yeah, that's right. And she needed a, a windshield replaced on a vehicle of hers. So Dale just stopped by saying like, Hey, I'm going to fix it, but I got to do this thing. And so I'm assuming where she was at was on the way. Yeah. All right. And there's uh there's an interesting um uh note here about uh the dirt road heading uh northeast. You 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 noted here if Dale did make it to the Bedrock store, 
there's a dirt road heading northeast to where the truck was dumped. So there's no other way to get to Yerevan without backtracking to Nacherita. Yeah, this is like a highly mountainous, uh, remote, rugged area. So there's only, uh, so there's Nukla, and if you go a bit south, maybe 15 minutes or so, you hit Nuklaita, and then if you take one route, you end up at the Bedrock store in about 35, 40 minutes, and then back at Nacherita, you would take an opposite route and go to Yerevan. And the only way you would get from the store to Yerevan would be along this dirt road. I just want to pose these the, the, a couple of thoughts here. His truck was missing for six weeks, and because of the weather report, uh, there's a possibility that it had been kept somewhere and then dumped uh, for three weeks, three out of those six weeks. I'm not sure of how populated the area is, but this would have to be someone who's keeping a vehicle in a garage or maybe under a tarp or something or one of those like driveway tents so that no one can see this. So they had to keep the truck. Also, if this was perpetrated by the uh, the ex-friend, why did he go through such lengths to dispose of the body and the truck in different locations? And apparently the body so well because it's never been found when he seems so sloppy with all of his uh, all of his uh, threatening tactics, with all of his intimidation tactics by ripping up the picture of them. Like it's obviously him. So when did he become like a, you know, like a like a streetwise criminal and where would he have dumped them if or dispose of him if he didn't do it in the mine shafts up in the rugged terrain? Yeah, virtually anywhere. It's it's really remote up there. Just from like the satellite imagery. Is it at all possible that Dale's body is still in one of those rivers or was washed away in either the uh, the San Miguel or the or the Dolores rivers? It's very possible. I don't think they really drag the rivers. Um, in fact, there was a little anecdote told by his uh, or the uh, man who found the truck, Levi, that he offered to the police to swim down and collect some more of the the pieces of the car that had floated downstream and the police uh, allegedly said no we have enough evidence so i don't think they even looked what kind of a uh, person was dale was he an outdoorsy guy yeah very much so i'm just i'm looking at his pictures here on the website and on the document that you have and he's he's actually outdoors uh and looks like he was ready to like go chop some trees down <laughs> yeah he looks like a rugged dude he seems like a capable guy yeah. is what i'm saying yes yeah absolutely i don't i don't think just anyone could take take him out now were, were there any uh you said that there was very little uh interaction or very little evidence of uh intimidation by the ex-friend towards dale or dale's family um after the gun was found so there's months right go by before he's missing yeah that's right i mean at least they didn't report anything else okay didn't piece together any other i mean his his intimidation tactic with the gun and the photos was like pretty in your face right so i don't think this guy is super subtle (laughs) yeah and then it's just so peculiar that so much time went by if uh if it if it was him who had something to do with it you know yeah that's true right Right. So think about that. Like, did he immediately do something to Dale, dump the body and then kept the trucks, the truck for six weeks? Or was he holding Dale uh, against his will for a period of time and that did something to him? Does anyone ever entertain the theory that uh, Dale is 
still alive? It's always a possibility in missing persons cases. But all the things that you would look for on as activity, I mean, his social security hasn't been used for anything. No credit cards have been used or opened, that sort of thing. There was um, a sighting a few years ago by a person in California, I think it was, that they, they saw a homeless man that looked very much like Dale, and they did actually get in contact with the Williams family, but it was later determined to not be Dale. How many kids did Dale have? He had two daughters. Two daughters, and both of them were uh, moved out of the house at that time? The older one, Tony, was away at college, and the younger one was living at home, and she was in high school. Now, Jen, in your research with this, you um, sourced from multiple uh, outlets. Do you want to just give some uh, some quick shout-outs to your sources? Yeah, um, I started with the Unsolved Mysteries website, who had like pretty great bullet information there. I also looked at a few articles on the case um, on its 20th uh, year anniversary of his missing date, and then... Like I mentioned before, Reddit is a fantastic source because uh, Tony, Dale's daughter, had opened this thread and sort of opened it up to the public to speculate, and she has been really on the ball with answering questions and interacting with the public. That's great. Yeah, which only serves to say that how, how, how dedicated she is to finding her father and getting some answers. If you have any information on Dale Williams' disappearance, please call When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers, but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.